NL East edition of the State of the Division. It is May 5th. May 5th. It's the Cinco de Mayo. And are you much of a Cinco de Mayo guy, Ryan? You don't, Ryan Finkelstein no. joining me. I don't, <laughs> how's your Spanish? Uh, took a lot of it in high school and college. Remember, so not good. None of it. None of it. Yeah. yeah don't yeah. retain anything. No, no, you got it. You got to use it. Uh, we got to get you in the clubhouse morning doing Q and A's. You just were all over New York. You just did the yes. full tour. We were at the Mets no hitter on Friday, which was awesome. We're going to get to that. And then you traveled all over the state of New York to go to every single minor league affiliate of the Mets or just about every single minor league affiliate in the Mets. Uh, how was that trip, man? A lot of fun, uh, a little exhausting. Uh, I found out that it's not smart to drive from Syracuse all the way to LaGuardia and try no. to catch a flight in the afternoon. That was a, that was a terrible decision on my part. Um, so I ended up missing that flight, ended up uh, having to take a late night flight. So I'm a little exhausted, but uh, still just trying to get my head above water with everything I just watched last week. I, I'm excited, though, uh, on another podcast, on my podcast, to get you on to talk some Ronnie Mauricio because he looked pretty good, man. Uh, he looked pretty good, but we could talk about that another time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to Ronnie and Mauricio with you. But the big league team has been the insane one for the Mets. I mean, they're 18 and nine at this point. It's absolutely ridiculous what they've been able to do. Uh, and they're really distancing themselves in the early going from the rest of the division. Crazy enough, the Marlins check in in second place at 512 and 12. They have lost four in a row, though, which is the craziest part. Because right when it looked like they're heating up, they win seven in a row. And then, oh, yay, they have the D-backs coming to town. They should continue this momentum. Nope. The D-backs sweep them and knock them around the yard. Uh, the Braves showing signs of life. Every time you think the Braves are going to start to climb out of it, uh, they kind of take a step back. I don't think we're too concerned about the Braves. We'll get into them, but they're 12 and 15. The Phillies are 11 and 14. They've lost three in a row. And then the nationals are nine and 17, three and seven in their last 10 ball games and a negative 28 run differential, which is, I believe the third worst in baseball behind or ahead of only the Royals and the Cincinnati reds who have already been outscored by 82 runs. Uh, but thank goodness we don't have to talk about the reds. That is for another day of state of the division and not our responsibility. So uh, we will be talking about the Mets out of the gate, unfortunately, again for another week. Um, and the Mets have a 31 run differential plus 31. Uh, they're nine and five at home, nine and four on the road. They're, they're really just they, it, they've been cruising in all aspects. And you and I and uh, Peter as well were at. The no-hitter on Friday, that was really exciting. You put out a piece kind of talking about Tyler McGill uh, and, and how good he has been for the Mets, trying to just fill the void as much as possible for Jacob deGrom being out. This team continues to click on all cylinders. Has there been anything that you've seen different from the last time we spoke in regards to the Mets? Any other developments? Anything that's uh, really standing out about the way that they're playing? I, I have one takeaway, and I'm curious what yours is. I think the biggest change is that they finally cut Robinson Cano. I think that the Mets as a 26-man team are going to be even better as a 28-man team uh, because Cano is just getting a lot of playing time. And, I mean, you saw him on Friday night. The at-bats were horrible. He, he just – he had no idea up there. He looked like a guy who was past his prime who was just guessing. And so you get rid of him. That gives more playing time to guys like Dominic Smith. I think Dominic Smith at 26 years old could really get hot and actually be – a positive DH for this team. So I think they just got better with that. And, and you're seeing a, a team that, that has a really functional roster with guys like Louis Guillaume and Travis Jankowski 
you know, the playing, playing roles. And I really love to see it. I, I was going to say, you know, something that Jeff Conine always talks about when we record outside the box, uh, which is the other podcast on this network. And he always talks about how important the role guys were on, on that 2003 team. Cause the 2003 team, you look at it in hindsight, extremely talented and, and obviously had the star power to win a world series, but he always talks about how there were guys off the bench that it wasn't your traditional off the bench role because the starting nine was so good that they'd go sometimes a week without playing and being able to get in there when they are, you know, kind of cold and still be able to contribute, but also really knowing their role and, and embracing the role. I feel like Jankowski is a guy that's doing that. Giorme is a guy who's always done that. And this is a team that look, they're not going to be going with the platoon splits that often. They're not going to be resting their stars that often because this is a loaded lineup. And I think Giorme, Dom Smith, and Jankowski can play really big roles on this team as guys. I think Smith will play more consistently, but especially Jankowski and Guillaume, you need those glue guys. And they've got that a guy that's really just taken that leap for me with the Mets. And I think is a threat to win the batting title this year is Jeff McNeil. And, you know, Fangraphs did a phenomenal job putting together a piece about how he's making some of the best swing decisions we've ever, you know, or not we've ever seen, but we've seen in a while and, and definitely some of the best swing decisions in baseball. Uh, you're seeing him hit the ball and impact the ball with authority. He's back to Jeff McNeil and he's setting the table for the rest of this team really well. Everybody else is kind of clicking on all cylinders too. And I mean, this is a really, really good team. And the crazy part about it is that Pete Alonso isn't really swinging it the way Pete Alonso is capable of. Uh, you're looking at some other guys like Jay, even Mark Canna. I mean, he's swinging it well, but he's not impacting the baseball, you know, the way that maybe Mark Hanna has in previous years. Starling Marte has not been great uh, really out of the gate either. And it really hasn't even been felt because the rest of the team has been so good. Uh, what would it take for this Mets team to slow down, you think? And uh, I mean, that the offense, it feels like guys are just going to take turns being hot. So it's not really a concern. If McNeil slows down, the other guys will step up. What do you think it would take for the Mets to slow down a little bit? Uh, if, if at all, I, it feels like a lazy answer to just say injury, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at with this team. I, I mean, you know, Lindor has slowed down recently and we haven't even noticed it because like you said, everyone else is picking up. I do want to note on Jeff McNeil. Uh, they were talking about this on the radio broadcast the other day. He said he's done trying to hit home runs because of the baseball right now. He hit one in Arizona that he thought was going to be 10 rows deep and it didn't make it to the warning track. And Jeff just said, look, I can't hit this ball out. And so he's not trying to, and I almost think that's better for him because he's becoming that guy again. That's just finding that hole. Why would you ever shift just Jeff McNeil? It makes no sense to me. He's just hitting those ground balls. He's laying down drag bunts. And, and really, I think he's, he's going to be an all-star again this year, the way he's playing. And like you said, I, I think that there's a really good chance that he's going to be one of those guys contending for that bag title. It's so funny, man. Baseball is so cyclical. And, you know, I think that was a Mets philosophy last year with with the old hitting coach and, you know, just trying to get the ball out of the yard. And the the explosiveness in the lineup makes that a little bit tantalizing, right, to have guys that could hit home runs from one to nine. But you have enough power in the lineup. Jeff McNeil needs to lean into the kind of hitter that Jeff McNeil is. And, and he's done exactly that. And, and that's why we're seeing him have this success. And I think there's going to be a lot of players that are similar to that kind of profile that we'll start to lean back into who they are as, as hitters and going to the Marlins the second place team still right now, uh, which is again, really surprising given that the rest of the NL East has just been a little bit weak out of the gate. Jazz Chisholm's a guy that's really kind of leaned into the approach side of things as well. And I'm going to be writing a follow-up piece on this kind of talking about what he has taken to the next level. Uh, but a little bit of a spoiler alert. It's just 
way more patient, way, way more patient. He's not chasing. And I mean, the bat to ball was always there. He was just always trying to hit it out of the yard. And don't get me wrong. He, he's still getting his hacks in. He's still taking his big swings, but he is also okay with flicking the ball the other way, picking his spots, trying to be more contact oriented. His walk rate is up to 9% strikeout rate down to 24%, which is, I mean, if he can stick there, he, he is golden. 330, 380, 657 slash line, 1.5 F war already this year. And the Marlins are still not playing this guy every day right now, which is crazy. Uh, Jazz has been incredible for the Marlins and, and a big reason why they are at the 500 mark even this far. Yeah, I think with Jazz, it's <clears throat> sometimes players get into a certain zone where it seems like every time I see Jazz step into the box, you just expect something. Yep. Something's happening. And obviously he's not going to get a hit every time, but the, the guy is a walking highlight reel. You know, I've been editing these highlight reel articles we have. Um, every day there's a jazz highlight in, in these, these articles, whether it's the glove, whether it's the bat. And, and I think that if you look at this Marlins team, when you have one player like that, they did a nice job getting some, you know, accenting pieces like Joey Wendell and Jacob Stallings, just guys that, that are helping keep this team afloat. The fact that they lost four in a row, like you said, and they're still in second place. So that might say more about the division, yeah. but I, I think that again, when we look at how everything stacks up, I think the Braves are going to be better, but I think the Marlins are a team that I really do like the more I see them over the Phillies. And we know the pitching's a strength for the Marlins, right? And I mean, that's continued to be the strength. Pablo Lopez finally had a little bit of his coming down to earth start the other day and he still has a one six one ERA. Jesus Lozardo continues to impress and looks like he's taken that step. Sandy Alcantara has been Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers, but like he's starting to settle back in a little bit, but not quite the Trevor Rogers that we have been accustomed to. So it'll be interesting to see how he continues to bounce back. But the, the development, and I think the developing story in Miami is how many more starts is number five starter Eliezer Hernandez going to get? Uh, because he was horrible against the Diamondbacks. He's not been great this year. And they've got a guy named Max Meyer in AAA with a sub two ERA punching out everybody. Uh, so I, I do feel very strongly that Max Meyer could be a guy that gets called up in the next couple of weeks or even sooner. And that would be your number five starter. That's huge for this Marlins yeah. team. But I would say one other thing that is really concerning is, is the bullpen. And you wonder if Eliezer Hernandez moves over to the bullpen, how that will shake out. But right now the Marlins don't have somebody that they can count on to close out ball games. And a big reason why they lost that finale to the Diamondbacks was the blown save by Anthony Bender. And they're waiting on Dylan Floro to come back. But I think Cole Solcer needs to be the guy locking down saves for them right now. Uh, but still, regardless, it is a shaky bullpen that you have to wonder how much that's going to impact them in terms of being able to close the games out. I think overall it's an okay bullpen in terms of just allowing runs overall, but you need that high leverage guy in the back end. And, and I'm not sure the Marlins have someone they really trust at the back end of the bullpen right now. Well, I think the one thing that could help them, as you're mentioning, you know, you know, Connor Mayer, like, if you get rid of that one spot in your rotation when you have a guy that's getting knocked out in the third inning, that's going to help your bullpen too. You know, I think that the Marlins' best bullpen this year is going to be just leaning into their starting pitching. And the more length they can get out of those guys, the more they can shorten games. And then those guys don't matter as much. But obviously, you're looking at a Marlins team that, that could use a reliever. Like, I think we're, we're going to be talking all year, where does Mark Melanson land? Doesn't that make make a lot of sense? Just get a veteran in there to save down those games and make sure that you actually have a chance if you are a wild card team. It's a no brainer to me, and I just don't know if the Marlins would commit 
to the remaining 10 million or whatever it would be uh, to Mark Melanson, but they should. Um, and, and they need a veteran. I think it would be great for, for the team to have. And I think if they start to taste some competitiveness, which I think the NL East, you know, there, there's at least a shot here where you can, you can talk yourself into it with expanded playoffs. It'd be interesting to see if they look to, to make some additions, uh, a team that I still think will, will be busy. Uh, in the coming months is, is the Atlanta Braves. I mean, we saw what they did last year to kind of kick themselves into gear uh, down the final stretch and, and make those moves to try to accommodate for the loss of Ronald Acuna. And now Acuna is back, uh, but they have some pitching things that I think they need to sort out. So offense isn't going to be what they try to answer. Uh, I think they might be trying to make some moves on the mound because if not for a Kyle Wright revelation, which we are buying, but if not for the Kyle Wright revelation, I am, terrified of of this pitching staff at this point because max freed has been great but th- that was always the expectation charlie morton starting to get yeah. concerned right because at the end of the day he's 38 39 years old at some point he's going to slow down why can't it be now um and he's coming off a broken leg so i'm going to hold out hope that he can bounce back but it's been really ugly huascari noah has not been the same since he punched that bench and uh you know has not really been able to get his legs under him and then you look at Ian Anderson. He's been shaky. I think he can bounce back. Uh, I think he will bounce back. He's typically a slow starter, but I mean, you can only really count on Max Fried and, and Kyle Wright right now. And uh, that's not the most exciting proposition. Yeah. I, I tweeted out yesterday or maybe a couple of days ago when, when Morton was starting as the Mets that like, how much does the math change? If Charlie Morton's not the Charlie Morton that we thought he was going to be because he, he really does. It, and look, it's early. Uh, I know he's had a couple of starts where he got he got kind of dinged around with some some soft contact and uh, one in, in San Diego in particular kind of jumps out to me. But I, I don't know about Morton. And, and I, I think at times we, we're starting to get a little bit like desensitized to the fact that these guys age because around sports in general, we're seeing, you know, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Tom Brady, you know, in baseball, Verlander, like you're seeing guys kind of kind of change the math on everything. But. I don't know if that math stops for everyone and particularly someone like Charlie Morton that um, was a late career kind of revelation, but it's not like he's always been this. So yeah, I'd be concerned if I was a Braves fan about the way Charlie Morton has looked. And I don't know um, what they have in the pipeline as far as other starters that could come in. If if that's a team that has to address their rotation through trades. Absolutely. And and the four seamers down a tick, uh, which I think is interesting, Uh, but that could be something that comes back as the season goes on. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how M- Morton, I think he's a big X factor for them. So also looking at some of the relievers, I think the bullpen's going to be great for them. It's kind of a reverse yeah. of the Marlins where the bullpen will kind of help shorten those starts. The Marlins need the starters to shorten the, the responsibility of the bullpen real quick on the offense. I don't think there's much to worry about there. They're They're going to continue to get going. Uh, Dansby Swanson's been playing a phenomenal defensive shortstop, which is really all they need him to do. He's starting to heat up offensively a little bit. Austin Riley is, is phenomenal. Matt Olson's phenomenal. Darno's been swinging a good bat. Albies, I really do think Albies is a little bit of, of an overrated player. I, I was going to ask that. I, I, am I wrong to say that? I, like, he might be top five most overrated players. Like, like you I, I definitely, at, I'm definitely with you. Um, because. I've compared like the perception of Ozzy Albies is that he's like a far better player than a Jeff McNeil. Look at their career numbers across the board. McNeil's a better defensive player. He's a better bat. And, and Albies, I think because he's this flashy player that hits home runs and he's at second base, like people think that he's a little bit better than he really is. If he just hit from the right side, I think he'd be a superstar. Uh, I'm seriously, yeah. he has some of the most dramatic splits uh, we've ever seen. And, uh, 
he's just not as great from the left side, but Albies is still 25 years old and like just turned 25, which is the craziest part. But I want to see him take that leap. This would be a big year for him to do that because right now Adam Duvall hasn't been great. They, they could use a little bit of offensive help, but overall, if you're concerned about uh, the Braves offense, you're probably concerned about the wrong thing. They'll get it all together. It just seems like they have a little bit of gaps here and there. And, and those, th- those gaps are going to fill in. Uh, and I think they'll be just fine. And of course, getting Ronald Acuna back hundred uh, percent is a very, very helpful development. And I'm expecting them to still go out and make a trade for a pitcher at some point soon, uh, getting into the Phillies. Uh, th- there's a few different ways we can look at, you know, what the deal with the Phillies is right now, trying not to, to rehash on a lot of the same points that we've talked about in the past. Uh, we, we've seen spots where the Phillies can be really tough to, to, to lose to in terms of like, yeah, or excuse me, they can be really tough to beat because they can light up the scoreboard, right? Like they can pile up hits and bunches. Uh, we went to a Mets game where they were actually lighting it up. You know, Schwarber hit a home run and they start to put it together. But we also went to a Mets game where they literally couldn't get a hit. Uh, it got no hit. And when you're a team that's built around offense and you get no hit, uh, it's a sign that it's going to be hard to be consistent all around over the course of the season. And that's kind of my concern with this Phillies team is, I know the offense is going to get theirs, uh, but it, it's not going to be every day. And how do you win games when the offense isn't clicking? It's tough. And I think that they're, they're, they're going to have some of the most lopsided series of the season where, where they do what they did against the Rockies, where they just pile a ton of runs, particularly when they're playing at home. But I, I just don't see this as a team that's going to be able to keep anything sustained for, for weeks on weeks. I don't think that they're a team that's going to put together a month where they win 16 games. I just, I look at them as a team that will, will sweep a team and then they'll get swept because the bats will just go cold and, and good pitching is going to be good hitting. And so when they're going up against the Marlins or the Mets, and even, you know, depending on who's going for the Braves, I, I could see those bats getting really, you know, you know, minimized. And then you're, you're left with, with, with the, this Phillies team where it's not like I really think their pitching is, is a, a big standout for them either. No, and that's the thing. I mean, the, the pitching has, has been decent. Um, more on the complimentary guys, like Zach Eflin's been pretty good, and, and that's been encouraging. Kyle Gibson's been great uh, out of the gate. Yeah. And really, it's been Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola who have not quite been themselves. I think it'd be crazy to assume that either of them won't be good. Uh, Wheeler especially will be just fine. But th- they need Wheeler and Nola to be like a one-two punch, a like legitimate one-two punch, especially with you know Ranger Suarez not really being the guy he was last year. So it, it, the, the thing with the Phillies for me is just it doesn't seem sustainable to count on an offense to be able to win you ball games for a 162. And that's really where I'm at there. The good news for them is Schwarber's heating up. Uh, we're, we're starting to see some signs of life from the rest of the offense. And I mean, Bryce Harper is going to be better, right? Bryce Harper is going to get on base at better than a 292 clip. So I think the Phillies are going to be better than they've been right now. I think it's going to be a battle for third place between the Marlins and the Phillies in the low 80 win total. You know, I think either of those teams could slide anywhere from 77 to 83 wins. And it's really going to be determined, I think, on their games against each other uh, and the division yeah. matchups and things like that. And when I look at the Marlins, the Marlins have been able to take care of the Phillies as of late. But, you know, I could see the Phillies being able to boat race the Marlins in a lot of ways, too, especially if Eliezer Hernandez is out there. Uh, the bullpen for the Phillies is a bit of a problem as well, which has been the topic of conversation now for what seems like three years. Uh, it's a little bit better. But again, they just really have not taken that bullpen to the next level. And uh that's probably going to do them in too. So between the mysterious starting pitching, 
mysterious bullpen. I, I just don't see how this team can win games uh, in the grand scheme of a marathon season. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit surprising how much people love the, the bullpen additions they made this offseason. Like I, I've watched Reese Familia pitch for a long time. Uh, I didn't think that that was going to really move the needle for them too much. Brad Hand, Corey Knable. It, it was good to add arms, but I just I don't know. I, I really think that you kind of hit the nail on the head talking about Nola and Wheeler. They need those two guys to have those starts where they're going seven or eight and, and the Phillies can win a game two to nothing. And if they're not getting that this year, I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. I think they need Wheeler. You know, the way Wheeler pitched last year where he was going deep into games, and that was that their, their one start a week where they knew they were going to get a win. That's what they need to see. Um, and if they don't get that, I think they're going to be in fourth place. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And then I think there's no there's no question of who's going to be in fifth place. Uh, yeah. It's the Washington Nationals. Uh, Patrick Corbin is their F war leader at the seven innings. Point. Eight yeah. innings. Yeah, he did five he, runs, but eight innings. Five <laughs> runs, eight innings. He's got a seven one six ERA, uh, but a three three one FIP. So uh, that's wow. interesting. Uh, we talked about Josiah Gray last time. I think he's been really impressive. I think he's going to be a good arm in the NLEs for a while. Uh, but uh, outside of that, I mean, it, it's going to be hard for them to to really piece together quality starts. Eric Fetty uh, is a guy that's going to continue to to pitch every fifth day. That's a challenge. I mean, Juan Soto has been Juan Soto. Josh Bell, I keep saying, is kind of playing his way out of of D.C., which is you know, going to be interesting to see what kind of return he'll get them. Uh, I think it's time to sound the alarms on Victor Robles and kind of say, hey, it's 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 over for him really being anything more than a fourth outfielder and that's where it's interesting to see like who they're going to go to, because it's not like the nationals have much of a farm system uh, to, to give prospects an opportunity. So I look at this team and you look at the rest of the league. I think it might even get worse for the nationals. I, I honestly think that it, it could get uglier and uglier. I'm surprised they're doing what they've done so far at nine and 17. I think they could be closer to the reds before we know it, which I'm surprised they actually have, have been this decent out of the gate. I know when you have Juan Soto, that helps, but, no one's going to pitch to Juan Soto. I, I think he's going to continue to walk more and more and more. I mean, he's, he's got a 258 uh, batting average, 400 on base. I think we're going to continue to see that kind of discrepancy. And I could see the Nationals fading to 100-plus losses. Really random question I have for you. Did they keep the wrong guy? Should they have kept Michael Taylor? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it doesn't really matter. Neither of them could hit. But I'm just curious. I mean, I mean, uh, Michael Taylor has more power, at least a little bit better. I mean, this year, 94 OPS plus a little better. Michael Taylor is a little bit better. Defensively, I don't think there's really much of a difference. I mean, that, that home run that Michael Taylor robbed this week. Insane. Unbelievable. Uh, I So, yeah, I mean, with the Nationals, man, I, what do you think? Do, do, do they do they stay away from triple digit losses or? No, no, they're losing 100 games. Yeah, they're. they're my question is, are they going to lose like 110? Like, are they the worst? Are, are they are they finishing ahead of the Reds? No, the Reds are going to be the last. The, the Reds are going to have the worst record. How, how could the Reds not with the, with the start they've had? What are they three and twenty one now? I mean, the hole that they're digging is pretty big. The, yeah, the Nationals I, have still won what nine games already? The, yeah, they, I mean, they've tripled them up. Trip, yeah, exactly. And, and again, I mean, when you have Juan Soto and Josh Bell, that helps. Uh, the Reds are getting some reinforcements back, so it'll be interesting in the race for for last place. And our first look at the uh, draft lottery this coming year, right? It, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that how that tank goes for this Nationals team, who obviously is not really trying to put out uh, the best product whatsoever. So it's still. The New York Mets division right now, and uh, they continue to distance themselves, but it is a marathon of a season. Uh, the, the full breakdown of the division, Mets first place up four and a half games in the Marlins in second. 
The Braves come in at third, six games back, tied with the Phillies, who are six games back, and then the Nationals, eight and a half games back. Uh, what series or matchups are you most looking forward to with this division that maybe we haven't seen yet or that you want to run back? I'm looking forward to this weekend series uh, of, of Mets-Phillies. I, I, there's, there's some pretty good pitching matchups lined up, uh, and I, I, I think that we could see the, the Mets maybe start to get into their home runs a little bit this weekend. <laughs> so I'm excited to see them play in that band box, see maybe Pete Alonso get it going a little bit. And it could be an opportunity for the Phillies to get it going. They take two yeah. out of three from the from the Mets at home, um, you know, getting getting that energy going in front of your home crowd and parlaying that into a good stretch. And that could be what the Phillies need to kind of get going. So it should be fun to watch. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Braves try to bounce back and the Marlins try to bounce back from a tough week overall. That'll do it for this episode of State of the Division and at least edition. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Hope everybody enjoyed it. And we will talk to you next week when the Mets are 10 games ahead of everybody in the NL East. Hope so.